your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host. Welcome in. It's so good to talk to you again. James Fox alongside us. He's a senior editor at Future Sox. It's been busy. James, back from Pittsburgh. Let's start there. How was uh, watching the White Sox uh, over there? Uh, Fine. It seems like better than, you know, the games that, like I went to opening day here and when Kopech was tipping pitches, that was pretty miserable. So those games were uh, fine. Like Saturday uh, was, was fun seeing them come back and, you know, they played against Vinny Velasquez. So I was like really hoping that they'd be able to beat that guy and they were. And then, you know, Sunday was like a little bit frustrating. I guess it was, it was like a good baseball game. Right. But like the fact that they weren't able to like squeak out that one, kind of stinks when when Kopech was as good as he was and they had like the almost fight or whatever like that was kind of interesting but I also had like my kids with me that day so it was like kind of a huge pain in the ass but <laughs> you know it was the trip overall was good yeah just a wonderful experience overall especially when the White Sox are involved it's a slow start for the White Sox I, I, I don't know James what are your feelings so far before we get into our conversation because you know we're midway through April but I mean a slow start for the White Sox team are you concerned I mean, yeah, like a little bit concerned, like it's early, but you know, like these games count the same as the September games. Right. And like, I kind of thought like their best chance would be getting out to a pretty decent start. Like I know that the April schedule is pretty tough. So like if they could hover around 500 somehow in April, I think that would be like a miracle with who they have coming. And then at that point, I mean, you know, they're like four or five back already, which like, look, like looking at the standings this early, I guess like might be a little bit extreme, but like, I mean, if the twins keep winning, my thing is like, they just like don't have to do that much. Right. Like if you think 85 games, like wins this division, well, the White Sox kind of have to, you know, you have to go like 79 and 69 or something like that the rest of the way. And I guess like some of the early season trends just are frustrating, like more so offensively for me. Like I think the pitching will kind of normalize, like they have decent, enough starting pitching and then you know like the bullpen hasn't been good but it's a super high bebip and you're gonna get crochet and Hendricks back so like I think they're going to improve there I've, I've been happy with how quickly they've cut bait like on guys that haven't been good enough right so I think if like a guy like Jake Diekman continues his struggles I think they've shown that like their willingness to just DFA a guy and bring up somebody else like I've been happy with that part of it but I mean like the way they play baseball just frustrates me they walk too many guys they don't walk offensively and they don't hit for power enough so like if they don't hit for power like I don't really think they're going anywhere but you know we'll we'll see how it goes I mean it's a it's a lineup full of guys who should be much better than they are but I think just frustrating offensively overall because of the lack of power and just I think they lead the league in singles again which I you know is kind of a bit insane yeah I think that's a fair assessment and again dealing with some injury issues to core players hopefully it's shorter stints and if Aloy Jimenez ends up coming back 
Um, not having to miss multiple months, you know, you'll take the multiple weeks. But again, it's a trend that we're all sick of seeing. And that leads us to our conversation today on the Future Sox podcast. And that's sort of a revisit of the top 11 on our Future Sox top 30 prospects list, as well as a checking out the 40-man roster as it currently stands. And this is going to fluctuate throughout the year, of course. But we're seeing emergence from Jake Berger's bat. And that's something that we're used to seeing, to be honest with you, Jake Berger right-handed masher and finding barrel constantly and he's in the lineup due to injury and when you think about the future of the roster does he have a spot uh, and you know Hanser Alberto is just put on the IL and there's some roster shakeups with Adam Hazley on the current roster as you're listening mid-April but the point of this episode is to kind of evaluate where the big league club is a month into the season new manager and also a visit to the top 11 or so prospects in the White Sox system, as well as a few other names. I got a chance to go out and scout Dylan Head, who's an 18-year-old prospect at HF, Homewood Flossmore High School, draft prospect projected to go in the top 50 picks. Um, really excited to talk about him, so we'll get to that later. Um, and there's also a couple of players who made their professional debuts full season that we'll get around to. But let's stick right there, James, when I take you back to Jake Berger and the standing of the White Sox. Anderson, Moncada, Aloy, you know, those names that we've seen on the injured list before, especially last year, we're back and Jake Berger emerged. And you talk about the lack of power, Andrew Vaughn struggling with home runs so far this season. I mean, Jake Berger deserves to be in this lineup to me. It's just hard to justify playing him somewhere outside of first base DH. Although I think you can get away with putting him at third base while Moncada and Hanser's hurt. Yeah, I think so too. And I, you know, I really just like, I don't really see the difference between him and Hanser, right? Like if you're willing to play Hanser Alberto at second base, like you should just play Jake Berger at second base because Hanser Alberto, and it's the same thing, right? Like the only reason, I guess there's a couple reasons he was on the team because, you know, he's like the manager's choice. Like he's buddies with Griffol, which is like kind of what we always said about Leary, right? You know, with Tony, but I mean, like, you know, it's like a 109 lifetime WRC plus against left-handed pitching, which is like, you know, one of the only things that he does well. He's decent against left-handed pitching. Well, Jake Berger mashes left-handed pitching. And I don't know how you send that guy down. Uh, yeah, I, I think he has to stay like in some capacity. And I think like the real question then is just like Gavin Sheets, because look, I mean, it's a left-handed bat, right? That's on your bench, which I guess is valuable. And we've kind of talked about this some, I just like don't know. Like Gavin, she's really shouldn't be playing the outfield, even though he has a little bit um, so far. And then at that point, like, I just like, don't know when he would play against right-handed pitching, like instead of Eloy Vaughn, Benintendi or Colas. And he's really like not hitting the baseball hard. I think it, all of his like exit velocity is like under a hundred miles an hour. You know, I think he gets balls like up into the jet stream at guaranteed rate field and like gets him out there, but he like doesn't hit for power on the road. I just, and, and he's really not great at first base either. So I think that's the guy who ends up kind of like becoming expendable because I think they have enough lefties on their team. So yeah, I mean, going forward, it's, it's kind of a weird roster. Hazley's up, at least he offers some defensive versatility, but I, I, you know, I think that bench is kind of going to shift around consistently, but I agree with you. Like, like Berger, I don't know who should sit, but if there's like a lefty on the mound, Berger should be playing. And I honestly feel better with Berger playing against righties than some other guys too. Yeah. And that's really the point, right? Is you play your best players and Jake Berger's proving to be the most consistent hitter, at least slugging in the lineup. And when we look at this lineup, you know, I mentioned the injuries 
And we're not going to focus too much on the big league White Sox because I want to shift to the minor league season to this point. But, you know, core players injured on the injured list. And we look over at the minor league side of things. And as we discussed our top 11 prospects, four of them are getting a late start to the minor league season this year, James. Colson Montgomery, our number one overall, is dealing with an oblique. Brian Ramos has a groin. Sean Burke has a shoulder. And Noah Schultz is dealing with a forearm. So we're looking at debuts across minor league baseball, but those that pique our interest are getting a little late start. Does that concern you at all? I mean, it doesn't concern me long term because like none of it's major, but it's like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of annoying that they're not playing. And like you start to see why the system's ranked in the bottom five when those guys are kind of like not playing, right? I mean, you start to look across the system for for breakouts and stuff like that. And there's just not that many. You know, I think like everybody kind of wants to see Colson Montgomery. I'm curious to see whether they send him to high A to start or whether he is indeed going to Birmingham. And then look, it's going to be like a huge year for Brian Ramos. Brian Ramos is on the 40 man. He's improved defensively at third. Um, he's got a lot of power. So I think, you know, him getting started at Birmingham is a big deal. And we just like haven't seen it yet. Sean Burke, like it was described as minor, a minor shoulder thing, which I mean, maybe it's like kind of an oxymoron because shoulders are always significant, but, you know, they don't seem too concerned. Apparently, he's going to start at Charlotte this week. And then Schultz, supposedly fine as well. They're just kind of slow playing him so that he can finish the year, you know, like like he's in extended spring. I don't know that he's pitching in extended spring games yet. I feel like we would hear about it if he were. Um, but then he's going to go to Kannapolis and start games there and kind of finish his season there somewhere between, you know, probably like 70 and 90 innings, I would imagine. So, but I mean, yeah, like those are, those are like four of the more, more interesting guys that aren't playing in the minors. And then Lenin Sosa and Oscar Colas are both in the majors, which is good. Like that's the goal of this, right? But that's like six of the top 11 prospects that aren't playing on a nightly basis in the minors. Right. And we'll talk about Jonathan Cannon, Norhe Vera and Peyton Paulette, Christian Mena as well. And Jose Rodriguez, but you're right. I mean, Lenin Sosa, is showcasing why, and I think when we talk about the changes and the developments that he's made in his game, especially with his swing, it's gotten him to the place where I believe he should be a major league regular. Um, again, though, you brought it up, the roster kind of has its restrictions with what you want to do on the 26th man, because look, this team is trying to compete, and I can't imagine the White Sox in 2023 by the deadline looking to sell. I just feel like, regardless, James, this is going to be a team that's going to do whatever it takes to compete for the division. I don't think this is a year where they're going to hang it up, even though in the near future, there will be some turnover. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I like I think I've kind of led the charge on Lenin Sosa, right? He's up there now. He absolutely has to play second base pretty much every day right now with Tim Anderson out because you'll have Andrews at short. Hopefully he's good enough to where they have to make a decision when Tim Anderson comes back, right? Because... I kind of feel like when Tim Anderson comes back, if Lenin Sosa isn't the primary second baseman in Chicago, and I feel like, look, we don't we don't have any reason to anticipate that he will be. I, my guess is he goes back to Charlotte and just mm -hmm. like continues mashing the International League because once he's ready to play, he should play all the time, you know. And I, I would have no issue like ending the Elvis Andrews experience, but I don't I don't really think the team's going to do that. So. You know, I think for the time being, he's going to get some more big league exposure, but then I do think he's probably going to go down here within the next couple of weeks. And just sticking to that, because on the infield, we're, we already mentioned Jake Berger, Hanser Alberto, again, on the injured list, and you're thinking about Romy Gonzalez's future. This seems like 
the White Sox are comfortable using him as a utility player. And I don't know how that minimizes his value in any sense. I think it's very tough on him not to get regular playing time and to commit as a utility player because we saw last year just in spurts, Romy struggled when you know he had a he had a late start to a season and just inconsistent plate appearances really weigh on a player. So that's a storyline that I still want to follow, but I'm with you, James. Lenin Sosa needs to play every day, whether it's at the big league level or at AAA. It may be just because of where the White Sox stand that that Lenin will just have to stomach this assignment this year and and hit his way back up to the big leagues in 2023 before the White Sox want to commit fully because, yes, they're trying to compete. They like what Elvis Andrews brings overall, but also as a personality within the clubhouse. I think that matters. So just a little note there. Overall, though, when we're looking at the top 11, we mentioned a handful of names. Noah Schultz dealing with a forearm. Whenever we hear forearm, we kind of shudder and we get worried. But like you said, the White Sox and others are, are playing it off as a minor and they're going to take it slowly. Now, we remember Jonathan Stever had a forearm issue that did not require surgery. Whenever you hear forearm, it's not automatically serious surgery that's coming to play. So we're going to monitor Noah Schultz with the Sean Burke thing. That's somebody that Chris Getz mentioned as a future big league contributor in 2023. So I want to make it uh, make that known that Sean Burke injured to start the year. Obviously not great, but it's also something that's worth monitoring. Brian Ramos, we went over, and Colson Montgomery getting a late start with the oblique. Now let's talk about some James, some some minor league White Sox who made their debut that we're looking forward to monitoring. And, and shout out to Oscar Colas too, by the way who is proving to handle himself as a regular in the big leagues. And we should celebrate that as White Sox fans because hell yes. <laughs> I love watching Oscar Colas prove that uh, he can handle it. And still a young player with the strikeout rate, not making so much of a difference so far in his game. Bat to ball skill looks like it, it's caught up to the major league pitching. So that's great. Great to see so far earlier on in the career, had the walk-off home run, not uh, walk-off base hit, I should say, not too long ago. But I was looking forward to Peyton Paulette and Tanner McDougal. We'll get to McDougal later. McDougal made his first full season affiliated start, and I monitored that closely, so we'll talk touch on him. But Peyton Paulette, James, let's focus there. Made his debut last week, a guy who we believe can rise through the system quickly, getting another start as actually we're recording this podcast currently. So by the time you listen to this, Paulette will have a couple of starts under his belt. And I think that's just fantastic because the guy has multiple pitches. Uh, fastball that jumps out of the hand, mid-90s, gets up to 97 at times, and he has a curveball slider mix that sort of blend, but the curveball has RPMs that jump off the page at you. And so far, so good for Peyton Pollock, despite the control issues. I don't even want to call it issues, but the number of pitches that it's taken him to get through outings so far, look, that's it's all fine and good because he's a full season professional pitcher at this point, and it's somebody who I believe is going to motor through the system quickly. Yeah, I mean the biggest thing is he just like needs innings, right? I think he's probably going to throw seventy or so. He had three strikeouts in his in his first game, and you know he only threw two innings. I don't know how many he's going to throw Sunday. We'll know obviously by the time listeners are hearing this podcast. So probably similar, I would imagine, two three innings somewhere along the line. Um, and he's in Kannapolis and it seems like he's going to start like every five or six days. And he's definitely somebody to monitor as one of the top pitching prospects in the system for sure. And Christian Mena, James, this is somebody that we were looking forward to seeing pitch in full season gets the aggressive assignment in double a. And uh, 
I love his size. I love the way the ball's coming out of his hand. Threw a lot of pitches, faced a lot of hitters in his first outing. Kind of erratic, but we saw the strikeout. We saw the stuff. Yeah, and he's still just like so young. I mean, Christian Mena is 20 years old um, with a December birthday. So, he, I mean, he's going to be 20 for what? Like basically the entire minor league season. You know, nine strikeouts. It was three earned runs and four innings pitch, but nine Ks, two walks. So, yeah, I mean, his stuff's good. He's going to be one of the strikeout leaders in Southern League is my guess. We just need to see how many innings he can amass. And then look, I mean, he's like probably in the mix for a big league job like next year, I would imagine. You know, I know we we talk about the Rule 5 often. He is Rule 5 eligible this December. So my guess is Christian Mena will be on the White Sox 40-man at some point. And I think, you know, like if he does what we think he can do in the first half, I think you add him to that group with Sean Burke and Matthew Thompson joining uh, Davis Martin as, I guess, just like some of the immediate starting pitching depth that the White Sox have. So, yeah, Mena will be interesting to follow going forward. And then I guess just like what, rounding out the top 11, you have Norhe Vera and Jonathan Cannon, um, mm-hmm. you know, in addition to – Tanner McDougal, who you wanted to talk about, who's not in the top 11, but is also somebody that we're keeping an eye on. And how about Norhe Vera coming out and showing us nothing? Oh, yeah. He, that so he comes bad. out and he like low 90s and walked four guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, that's another guy that really just needs innings. Right. And it's something that I've often talked about how they could flip a switch whenever, I think, and just like put him in the bullpen. And maybe that's ultimately what he is. But I think they're going to give him every opportunity to start. I mean, the, the biggest thing is like his stuff just has to stay what? good. I mean, he, he, he was one of these guys who like this stuff was really good in the DSL. And then in like short stints, it was really good. But then like, as he pitched more and more, like he was throwing like 91 or 92, which obviously Mm -hmm. like isn't going to work. So, you know, the command issues, he only went two thirds of an inning in his first start in high a. So he's somebody to monitor. We'll see. I, I would imagine he'll pitch again this week at some point. And then, you know, Jonathan Cannon was basically Jonathan Cannon. Five innings pitched at high A, three strikeouts, a couple of walks, not really many runs given up. So, you know, Jonathan Cannon profiles is like a back-end starter for a reason, but one that can move quickly, who I wouldn't be surprised to see in Birmingham at some point this year. I don't know if it's by design, because I know Chris Getz mentioned that Norhe Vero is a starting pitcher and will be developed as such this year. But you talked about the velocity, James. That was down. And is it by design? I'm wondering just so he can work through more innings because he gets it up there to 99 miles an hour at least two years ago when he was first being scouted and to see 91 93 now look 99 isn't gonna stick around as a starting pitcher that's more of like a singular inning show your stuff give me what you got and let's see what it is but it's a dramatic fall when you're talking 91 92 on average across a couple of innings as a starting pitcher it just screams to me bullpen piece and I know it's early, but given what we saw develop last year, I'm going to give Norhe Vera every opportunity as long as the White Sox are willing to throw him out there as a starter to prove that he could be a starter. I just see the writing on the wall right now, back-end reliever. Yeah, I mean, it's all about innings. That's what we kind of, you know, we've we've been talking about this. I mean, that'll be a good, like, check-in at midseason just to, like, yeah. kind of see how many innings he has and, like, what his stuff looks like, but... Yeah, and I mean, he's old enough to where they don't need to keep doing this, where he's level by level starting. They could make the transition and just do it. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. 
When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Shout out to Cole Seamus as well. Winston-Salem, right-handed pitcher, on, went undrafted a couple of years ago, and it just looks like a stud. Went five innings, struck out six, let up one run on six hits. It, nothing has phased a player who showcased his value to the White Sox last year and is proving it already to begin the minor league season in 2023. That's somebody we could expect to pitch in Birmingham at uh, this season, I believe, if he uh, continues his strong start in Winston-Salem. So that's that's exciting. Uh, Tanny McDougal placed on the seven-day injured list following his first start, and there was a lot of control issues that we saw, a lot of fastballs. Didn't get a lot of reading on the gun, but according to the broadcast, he was hitting 96 as I was checking in on some of the highlights. So a 96-mile-an-hour fastball, he didn't get past four innings. However, didn't give up any runs, but ran into a lot of trouble. I mean, this is just a young pitcher making his full-season affiliate debut after missing essentially the entire 2022 season because of Tommy John surgery. I'm so excited about this right-handed pitcher because of the stuff jumps off the page at you. Uh, he's one of those players who I believe can run through the system quickly. I, I forget where I saw it, but there was an article suggesting that he made mechanical tweaks to just quiet himself down a little bit because he is so herky-jerky with the way that he generates velocity on his fastball. So that's something to monitor. I just wanted to throw that out there, James. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's I think it's a good point. I think, I, you know, I don't really know, like I haven't really heard anything about why he like went on the injured list, but do you know what Canapolis did with Paulette? Because they, so they activated him today. We're talking Sunday, right? To start today. So I wonder if they're just like, somehow like making liberal usage of the active and inactive list. And then it's just listed the way it is. So then you have like more roster space, essentially. Like, are you able to put a starting pitcher on the inactive list, you know, and then just like Mm -hmm. activate him when it's like his day to start? I don't really know. But yeah, I mean, look like Tanner McDougal is another guy who we hope builds up innings that that's like the big thing. Like I'm really not going to care that much about, a lot of these pitchers stats this year, it's more about what their stuff looks like and how many innings they can pitch. Right. Because if you want future starters, like eventually these guys are going to have to throw innings and they just really haven't. So, um, you know, just like something to monitor with the innings base and the white Sox, I will say do have, they have like innings restrictions on for anybody that doesn't know. They don't usually let these guys go more than 30 pitches in one inning. I think, which is one of the reasons why Vera, um, only went one inning because I think he threw like 34 pitches in the first inning and only recorded two outs and then was out. Right. So that that used to happen frequently during Jared Kelly and Matthew Thompson starts that that I would watch and then it's you know it's kind of annoying. 
Matt Thompson accumulated a bunch of innings last year, so he's on a list that we can monitor to take the next step, and that's partly the reason why Chris Getz mentioned him in the offseason as somebody up next. And I'm thinking of Andrew Dahlquist. Let's find some consistency, Andrew. I'm rooting for you. Um, yeah, a 2019 prep pitcher who has had command issues across his time as a professional, but I brought up Cole Seamus. Cole Seamus proved that he can handle the innings load last year, and that's somebody who may be a quick riser and you know, we want to give credit to those at Baseball America as well and MLB Pipeline who were all over Cole Seamus when he joined the organization. We talked to Bill Mitchell. Bill was all over Cole Seamus and the production that he has. And he was also all over Loydell Chipei, James. When we talked to Bill Mitchell, he told us that we should be excited about Loydell Chipei's 2023 season because, you know, he played in the Dominican Summer League last year, way over the age. I think he was a 20-year-old at the time, turning 22 this year. Um, currently as a 21-year-old, James, playing at Winston-Salem, OPS over 1,000. The guy's doing his thing, and it looks like – look, you call him uh, – what was the cop that you said? Was it Roofnet Odor? I see – Leary Garcia 2.0, but maybe a better version of him. And I don't want White Sox fans to shudder or cringe when you hear that name. I just think that that's the kind of profile I see when I look at Chapey. Yeah, I think I said Rugnet Odor. I I don't. I think he's like not very good at second though. Chapey, like that they're kind of they're like they're playing him there. Um, I think just because of like the body type and it's a left-handed bat and they like want infielders because he was like an outfielder in Cuba, um, but he's like really small for anybody that hasn't, you know, seen him. So, you know, I've seen like a Uribe comp too, but he can't play. He can't play shortstop. It's just like a body type. You know, he does have two homers early on for Winston-Salem with a 294 WRC plus, like over like six games. So he's really, really fun. He was very fun last year too, but he was in the DSL and, you know, I think we kind of asked everybody like, Hey, how do you look at DSL stats? And you know, like how, how can we tell like if they're going to translate into anything, et cetera. Right. And now we're seeing him promoted past Kannapolis all the way up to Winston. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him at Birmingham because he's like 21 years old and has a ton of Cuban experience. And I guess there's really no reason to, to slow play Lloyd El Chapei. Um, it also like kind of allows some of the other guys, I think, to play at Canapolis and he is, you know, a shortstop, but one of your guys, Jordan Sprinkle, um, pretty good start so far in Canapolis with the bat, which has been promising, but you know, it is, it's a tiny sample. He's a plus defender plus runner at short, but the bat has played early on as well. Yeah. I like that you bring up Jordan Sprinkle. Cause I just like the idea of valuable shortstops who, who do specific things very well. In Sprinkle's case, he's a plus defender and a plus plus defender, you could argue. And a guy who's already at that level as a shortstop, all right, there's value there. You can build on his game. Now, when you can't hit, obviously it's an issue, but the guy's got speed. When you watch him on the base pads, he gets from first to third in a blink. So the bat is our main focus. And I saw last I checked, he was hitting 333 in Kannapolis. Look, it's low A, and this is an older prospect playing there first full professional season for Jordan Sprinkle. But these are just things that you monitor within the system because we did rank Sprinkle on our top 30 and pretty highly just based on his frame and athleticism. Uh, we're, I mean, James, we're cooking through the White Sox farm system. We're, we're hitting on a lot of names on this episode. Is there anybody else that we miss? Did want to throw in Jose Rodriguez as well. Jose Rodriguez uh, what in 29 plate appearances to this point struck out five times, but he's got three extra base hits. Two of them are home runs. 
Jose Rodriguez is obviously somebody that we're monitoring. It's just weird how we're like weird as in my kind of understanding of how the White Sox are going to deploy him in the affiliates because I want to see him in Charlotte, but he's he's got to stick to Birmingham currently. Yeah, I mean, I kind of wish he was, I guess, the shortstop in Charlotte. We've kind of talked about that. They have like a lot of 4A type filler guys. And look, I think if he hits in Birmingham, he'll be there, especially if Colson Montgomery is going to be basically the everyday shortstop in Birmingham at some point. So yeah, and Rodriguez is on the 40 man. So, you know, he he's one of like the White Sox, like, depth options on the periphery, a guy that's, you know, just a little bit interesting. So, you know, something else um, that's unsustainable at this point, obviously, but Yoelki Cespedes um, in basically his third season um, in double A, he's 25 years old. He's played in eight games so far, but he's actually like, he's been walking, which is something that I guess he's like never really done before. He does have two homers early on, on the season, but he has nine walks through the first eight games, okay? He walked 29 times last year in 119 games. So, look, if this is, like, something that he can finally add to his game, like, that that's promising because I think he's, like, a big league backup outfielder potentially in a role similar to the one that, like, Adam Engel played. Like, he can play all three spots. He has a plus throwing arm. He has good speed. He hits left-handed pitching, and he has power. So, like... Like, I think, you know, I wouldn't anticipate Uelke Cespedes to be like a regular at this point, but I mean, I definitely think he can help you as like a fourth outfielder type that has some pop in his bat. I mean, he had 17 homers last year um, in double A. So I hope like his newfound, I guess, plate approach and some of that patience is something that can carry over and continue, but it has only been eight games so far for the Barons. You bring up Yolki Cespedes, and he's an example of near depth, kind of like th- those who could get called up in the near future. Uh, and you know, we we began the episode discussing the roster situation based on injuries as well as the immediate depth on the forty man. James, I'm thinking of the immediate depth that you know we always reference on this podcast, and I know White Sox fans out there are thinking, what's in the pipeline that. You know, we can get excited about now because for the White Sox to be competitive, it seems like they have to stay healthy across their 26, 28, 30 players to even have a prayer at the division because I'm not seeing much in the immediate sense. And you brought up Yoelki. That's an example of a guy from the White Sox standard who is close but still has work to do and is playing in double A. When you look at the triple A roster, there's a lot of cast off former big leaguers who are working to stay in the league or working to prove that they are valuable enough to stay on a major league roster. So my question to you is, what is it that gets you excited in the near sense for the Chicago White Sox farm system? Well, I mean, I guess it would, you know, like the fact that Sosa is there and already up, I guess is a little bit of a surprise that he's already playing. But I mean, I think it's kind of guys on that 40 man that you mentioned, like, look, we're not going to see Brian Ramos because I don't, I don't think he's ready. Like, and he hasn't even played a double A yet, but I mean, him and Rodriguez are basically like your next guys. And then if you want to look at pitching, I think Sean Burke is probably the name of the non, you know, the, the option of a guy that's, I guess, like one of the next guys up if like a starter's needed, right? But yeah, I mean, there's not a bunch. I mean, there's 
there's always relievers that could just like pop up out of nowhere and like turn into like some sort of big league reliever. I think Davis Martin last year was a guy who just like kind of showed up out of nowhere and was decent that we haven't used. And like Jake Berger is no longer a prospect, right? But mm-hmm. he's like carrying the big league White Sox occasionally. So yeah, I mean, these are kind of your names under Chris Getz. The White Sox have kind of notoriously, you know, not to call them all four A players, but like they've had a lot of like major league filler type minor league veterans like on the AAA roster so that they can pull a guy up in a brief stint, right? So that you're not bringing a prospect up like before they're ready. Like you're, we just saw Jesse Schultons and Keenan Middleton is on the team. And, you know, I mean, the White Sox have those type of guys so that you don't have to go to Birmingham and bring up Luke Schilling, like before Luke Schilling's ready, essentially. Yeah. And that's exactly it. It, And I think you put it uh, in a better way than I did calling him former major league castoffs or or big league castoffs. Cause yeah, these are guys who are, I guess, 40 man fillers. I think that's a good way to put it. There's not much more value that you're going to get than a guy saving an option for other prospects, like you said, who in the White Sox case are not ready because they're still developing. So yay, go White Sox, go White Sox. You got to stay healthy and work with what they have currently. I don't know if they're going to make any moves to add. I don't know how seriously they're looking to build on this current club. I Look, health has a lot to do with the starting rotation and whether or not they're going to have success this year because if that falls apart, in my opinion, I think the White Sox are toast. So, look, I, I don't want to call it a season by July because I don't think the White Sox are. I think this is a year where they're going to do whatever it takes to compete for as long as they can and then pivot come 2024 and reassess the payroll and then see where some of the prospects are developing um, and where they've developed after 2023. James, I was in attendance to see a player who many major league organizations are interested in drafting. And that is Dylan Head, center fielder, 18 years old, out of Homewood Flossmoor High School. What do you want to know? What do you know about him first and foremost? And then I can kind of add to it. Because I will say, as I was walking the concourse on uh, at Ozinga Field, no fewer than 15 major league pro scouts out there. So I just want to make that out, make that clear. Yeah, you know, and I think it's normal for, like, the area scout to be out. Like, I bet, you know, like, J.J. Lally of the White Sox is the area scout. My guess is he's just, like, out at most of his games because, look, he's the best player in this area. Like, I've heard he's, you know, there's lots of people down here that think he's the best player in this area, like, in a while. Um, You know, I, I had somebody comp him to Curtis Granderson, like, just, like, as a kid and a player, which would be pretty phenomenal. Um, you know, like Alec Thomas was pretty good down here. I, I think a lot of people think like Dylan head has a much, much more upside than the guy who's the, the shortstop from Mount Carmel that the Cubs took. Oh, Ed um, Howard. Yeah. Ed Howard. There's just like way more bat speed with like higher upside with the bat. So yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it seems like, and you were there, so seems like a definite stay in center field, plus speed. I, I guess I don't know what all the questions are. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's ranked 40th overall at MLB pipeline. They have like a 40 power grade on him, but it seems like his hands are good enough and the bat speed's good enough to maybe get to more than that. But yeah, I mean, if he's, if he goes pro, I mean, he's definitely going to be HF's high, like highest drafted player ever. Um, the last one, John Eli, um, oh, nice. who, who I believe is still coaching with the White Sox, or maybe not, but 
He's a Clemson commit. He flipped his college commitment because he was headed to Michigan with coach Eric Backich, and he is now the head coach at Clemson. And I know, look, you, I think you, what you, you kind of had some thoughts on that whole scenario, but I will say like guys like him typically go pro cause there's probably $2 million for him somewhere. Um, I guess it's just kind of a matter of how comfortable somebody is with him, how much they're willing to pay him. Um, in a draft mm-hmm. class that's loaded with with college players that typically rise up the board in cases like this. Now, see, I, I, I'm looking forward to draft season because I need more information on what the pool is looking like in terms of the, when I say pool, I mean the class, the, the talent, and how it stacks up against a guy like Dylan Head and what teams are willing to spend on a player like that because there is development to be had with this kid. But I will say, you brought up Ed Howard. I think Dylan Head is better than Ed Howard in almost every facet of the game. And the reason why I say that is because I was concerned about Ed Howard's ability to handle professional pitching at the plate. Like The athleticism didn't worry me one bit. Uh, and his ability to play shortstop didn't worry me at all. And I was actually hoping that the White Sox would take Ed Howard in the draft, but they ultimately did not. What was that, the Garrett Crochet? Garrett yeah, Crochet? yep, 2020. Season 2020. Yeah. So that didn't come to pass, and Ed Howard had the injury to, I believe, his hip, and he's had a slow start to his professional career. And I and I bring up Ed Howard because I think it's a, it's a perfect example of somebody who may have needed more time to develop before diving into professional baseball with Dylan head. I was watching the perfect game, all American classic uh, from 2022. So about a year ago in September ish. So maybe even six, seven months ago. And within that time, my goodness, Dylan head has put on so much size. He looks stronger, a thicker, lower half. And you mentioned it a 40 grade power. That makes all the sense in the world to me because I saw really quick hands strong hands and a bat speed that gets through the zone, you know, very quickly. So that's there. The strength is there. I think mechanically you want to see him get everything in line and working together because either his hands are going first and his hips are dragging or for example, like with two strike pitches, this may be part of his game. If you go to futuresocks.com and you look up Dylan Head and you see the article that I put together, there's video and you can also search for it on YouTube of you know the, the appearance that I saw Dylan Head. And with two strikes, he totally changed his approach, his quick hands, trying to foul stuff off. And it looked like his swing was totally different than 0001 or anything less than two strikes. So just at the plate, I think there's some development to be had. But I'll tell you this, defensively, Looks like a professional center fielder. He's going to stick at the position. He could probably play a corner because his arm strength is good enough to stick in a corner. I just think he's more valuable and he is capable of playing as a center field. And my goodness, is he fast? I mean, the type of competition he was playing against definitely didn't match where he stood currently in his career. And he's far and away the best player on the field, like far and away the best player in the field. And he cuts distances so fast. It's it's, it was kind of mind-boggling to see that type of speed at the high school level. So it was really cool to see him steal second and third on consecutive pitches. He struck out once on a drop third and got to second with ease. He was able to steal home on a pass ball, wasn't challenged on a throw there, wasn't challenged on any stolen bag except one to second. He was in by a step and a half. I saw him defensively make uh, an attempt at a couple plays, a couple of routine fly balls he made. First step was perfect, communicated well with the corner outfielders on a ball in the gap. 
you know, he's going to claim those those plays. Um, there's a ball that was hit with top spin straight at him. He had a good first step. However, he hesitated slightly because he was in between playing it on a hop or committing to play it uh, and make a play on it. So what he did was first step in, hesitated, then committed to a dive. And as he dove, he kept the ball in front of him and the ball landed for a base hit. The only way he would have made that play is if he committed the whole way. The instincts, what I'm trying to say, the instincts are there because whenever you monitor the first step, it was right on target. Uh, There was a ball hit over his head. He played it to perfection off the wall and threw it back in right on target. You know, I mentioned the arm strength is average. It's accurate. Um, He made every play. I was watching him during warmups as well, kind of low-pressure environment. Every throw was to the cutoff man's forehead or just above it, right on target. So that was really encouraging to see. I just like watching him play. And I wonder, James, what it's like for professional ball clubs to evaluate a player like that and weigh it against you know, the rest of the class uh, to determine the amount of money it's going to take to keep him from going to Clemson. I think that's the only question because, yes, I do believe there is development to be had, especially at the plate. And if you struggle at the professional level as a hitter and you just can't find a way to get out of it, unfortunately, careers come to a crashing halt because if you can't hit, then you can't play. Um, And I'm not concerned that Dylan Head is going to completely tank as a professional hitter. I just acknowledge that there is development left to be had within his mechanics at the plate, and maybe it's better for him to work with professional coaching staffs to fix that, or it's better to to have three years of experience at uh, you know an ACC school like Clemson and, and perform. But that's the only concerns I have, James, is how do professional organizations justify spending on a player like that versus the rest of the class? Because he's going to get overslot, and I just wonder how much that money is going to be as well. Right. I mean, it just kind of depends on how much he needs. I mean, if it's similar to Alec Thomas, I think he's he definitely goes pro, like right in that two million range, I would say. So because somebody will definitely do that. But, you know, we'll see as as we get closer to the draft. I would I would like to go see him as well. I know that it's, you know, playing down here, southwest suburbs like of, of Chicago, Midwestern kids, it's tough. Like a lot of times they just like get walked in high school and kind of like you saw, you saw him like about three, nine to first, right? It seems like, like it, you know, I think some of the power that he needs to show, I think he's shown, but I mean, he could flick a ball to the left side and like get and be safe, like mm-hmm. on a single in most yeah. cases, because he's just like the most superior athlete on the field. So some of that stuff is like, you know, what you need to show major league scouts like runs counter to like what might help Homewood Flossmore High School win a baseball game. So, you know, and scouts know all that stuff. And you said that they were out in mass to see mm-hmm. Dylan Head, which isn't terribly surprising to me. I think that that will very likely continue. So, uh, you know, I I kind of touched on this draft. It, it's It's the best one that I've covered. The college class is absolutely insane. And there's multiple high school guys like at the top too, like I think in some years, like I think, you know, a guy um, like Max Clark would be like the top prospect in a draft. And there's a chance that Max Clark isn't going to go to like five or six. He's like the phenom out of Indianapolis that I'm sure we'll talk about a lot more. And then another left-handed hitting outfielder, Walker Jenkins of South Brunswick, North Carolina would, would typically be, you know, one of the highest picks in a draft. But the college class is so good that those guys might fall a little bit. 
one of those college players um, that I can link the White Sox to early on, somebody they've had interest in in the past. They really like this guy out of high school too, Yohandi Morales. Um, he's 15th at MLB Pipeline. He's in that range pretty much everywhere. Third baseman from the Miami program that they're familiar with, right? Like we've we've talked kind of a lot about Miami. Six foot four, 210 pound third baseman that should definitely stay at third. He's the son of former Cuban national team member Andy Morales. So, you know, look, there's another link to to Cuban heritage. I feel like he was pretty good as a standout at a Florida high school, um, Miami area kid. I had heard that the White Sox were very interested in him a couple of years ago, but like, I think that was again, like the 2020 draft where they just like, didn't really have the money to do it. So he's at, co- he's in college now. He's, he's got some homers for Miami. He hit 11 last year. He was really good, um, hitting over 400 for team USA with wood bats. So, you know, I don't know that, that's the pick because it's early April and like it's the one what college bats are the one demographic that Mike Shirley hasn't hit yet. But just, you know, I guess keep your eye on Yoandi Morales, third baseman Miami as one of the options for the White Sox with the 15th overall pick in the first round. Yeah, you mentioned the Miami program, the connection, Jacob Burke, Romy Gonzalez, among others, and Zach James Collins. Zach yeah. Collins. J, uh, James wrote an article on Jacob Burke, had a, a really good conversation with the player. And I encourage you to read it. It's on futuresocks.com. Really good insight from a guy who really wants to get after it and prove to the White Sox that he's a big league center fielder. And that's cool with me. I should mention too, James, you mentioned the 3-9 up the first baseline for Dylan Head. It was on turf. So just to be clear, you know, he was running on turf uh, versus dirt infield. Um, And this is, look, I had two examples. He had two balls in play that were on the infield and he had to sprint to first. The first one was a ground out to second, pulled up short a little bit as he came up to the first base bag, still clocked in unofficially 3-9, 3-9-5. And then the other one was an infield single up the middle where he flew up the first baseline. And again, it was on turf. So just wanted to make that clear as well. So yeah, James, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Dylan head one more time. I I'd like to go see him again, uh, at least one more time. And I know you're chomping at the bit to see him as well. So we'll have continuing coverage of the MLB 2023 amateur draft across the year. Uh, so stick with us here at future socks and socks machine.com uh, future socks podcast, by the way, what you're listening to right now drops every Tuesday. Make sure that you're subscribed to give us a like, comment. You can email us futuresocks at gmail.com with any questions. We'll answer them on this podcast whenever you see fit. Yeah, you have a question, even mention us on Twitter at futuresocks. Throw us a question, we'll answer it. James, final thoughts before we wrap this up. I'm looking forward to some of the pitching that is going to get more and more starts. We saw Mana throw. We talked about Palette. Hopefully Tanner McDougal's okay. I want to see Matt Thompson develop. Andrew Dahlquist, I need to see pitch well. Final thoughts. That's just all I have for today. Yeah, no, I, I just think, look, like it, it's kind of in wait and see mode like with some of these top guys. I think this year is super important for Colson Montgomery, obviously, Brian Ramos. They need to get back healthy. You know, I'm sure we'll get backfield reports on on a guy like Noah Schultz at some point, and you know me, like I'm always, I'm always looking forward to short season. Um, we still have a little bit of time there, but I mean, like you know, you have like Luis Reyes, like the the pitcher that was added this year. I think could rise a ton. Like he's going to be pitching in the DSL, and then Ryan Burroughs, a guy that we talked about, is in Arizona right now. Those seasons don't kick off until June, I believe. They're pre-draft, so it's going to be a little bit. But you know, there are other prospects to talk about. There's just some guys playing in Arizona right now, and. Extended spring training isn't really the focus for many people. 
That's James Fox. Follow him on Twitter at JamesFox917. I'm at Rankin906. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox Podcast. Hey, become a Patreon member, a patron to the Sox Machine channel and Future Sox. It really helps us out. It allows us to do what we do every day, 365. Thanks for being such a good and faithful and wonderful person and a White Sox fan as well. Appreciate your support for the Future Sox Podcast, FutureSox.com and Sox Machine. For James and myself, my name's Mike. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox Podcast. Every Tuesday, we'll be here for you. We'll talk to you all next week.